0: I'm going to ask you to turn with me, if you will, this morning to Galatians chapter six. Galatians—I mean, I'm sorry—Galatians chapter five. (laughs) I'm uh, already—I'm already actually uh, in January if uh, we're in Galatians six, and uh, we're not there yet. Uh, Let me just tell you what our plan is for the next uh, little season. Uh, We, uh, Lord willing, will finish out Galatians chapter five uh, next Lord's Day. And then uh, Advent begins December the 1st, and uh, there'll be four Sundays in Advent plus uh, Christmas Eve. And uh, for those services, I will be preaching and David will be preaching from uh, the Gospel of John, the first chapter. We're going to look at that first chapter and take some time to uh, look at the themes that God uh, gives us there, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us and Um, the glory of God and uh, all those uh, things together. So we'll do that for the month of December. And then uh, in January, we'll pick back up in Galatians and finish out the book of Galatians. So that's the roadmap uh, for the next little while as uh, we uh, walk through the scriptures. Uh, We are uh, looking at the passage this morning from uh, chapter 5, verse 16 and talking about what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, to, to walk by the Spirit. And uh, this morning as we uh, read the Scriptures, uh, let me just ask you if you're able, would you stand? And uh, we will read the Scripture and uh, pray and then dive into the sermon this morning. This is the inerrant, infallible, uh, trustworthy, um, sufficient Word of God this morning. And let us give it our careful attention today. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not... Under the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take these couple of sentences and to apply them to our lives and to our minds and hearts in such a way that we look more like Jesus to the world. That those who encounter us in relationship, in, in even in passing, would say indeed, there is something refreshing about that individual and that it would be your spirit. That your Holy Spirit would help us to walk with you day after day after day. So give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that are fleshy, that are that are made of, of material, of muscle that uh, is invigorated by the life of the Spirit flowing in us. So, Father, teach us this day, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, if you're in a church and you're listening to the preacher and the preacher uh, tells you that the Christian life is, is, a, is a triumphal, victorious, and easy kind of life, you better. You better. You probably ought to think about that. For it. Now, I'm not going to say that the Christian life doesn't have triumphs, that there are not victories in the Christian life, and that there are not times when the Christian life is way easier than a non-Christian life. But if that's what he's preaching about the gospel and the change that the gospel makes, you better have your antenna up. If you're told that by the Spirit's power, uh, if only you can find the secret, uh, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, don't believe that either. There are plenty of places where um, there are people who would tickle your ears with false truths about the gospel. Hit the road. To walk in the Spirit, I believe the Apostle Paul tells us this morning that it's not just a stroll uh, through the arboretum with butterflies fluttering up out of the beautiful flowers and landing on your nose and, you know, that, that, that is not the picture that the gospel presents, is it? Not at all. In fact, I think when you read through the book of Galatians or when you read through the book of of, uh, Corinthians or when you look at the gospel of of Mark or if you go to the Old Testament and you see the example of the Old Testament saints who have gone before us, if you go to Hebrews, if you you look at the, the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, if you think about anything that's biblical, that's not the picture, Instead, the picture is more like picking your way across a battlefield that's strewn with mines. One just went off. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, The the battlefield is in your soul as much as it is in the world, and it ranges hot and hard regardless of how long you've walked with the Lord. I've been a Christian since 1971. I'm still fighting the battles. I don't know about you. I don't know how long you've walked with Christ. But what about your life? Paul knew the battle pretty well. I was, I was struck this week with a thought. So I did a little research. And, and here's what I was thinking. The Apostle Paul never suggested that the Christian life was getting easier as time went by. In fact, he knew just the opposite. He wrote the book of uh, Corinthians in about 54 A.D., okay? Hang that date in your head, 54 A.D. And so as Paul's writing the book of Corinthians, he writes these words in chapter 15. He says, I am the least of the apostles, okay? Paul's been a believer for a little while at this point, and he says, I am the least of of the apostle 54 a.d those were his early days if you fast forward a little bit say around 63 a.d the apostle wrote a second another book he wrote the book of ephesians pop that one up hello there it comes what does paul say to the ephesians he says how many years difference is that nine years difference I am the least of all the saints. Jump ahead about two more years, A.D. 65. He writes to Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. Wow. That's the Apostle Paul. Paul. That's the man that God called to become the the missionary to the world. That's the the man that God called to, to teach the world about what it means to serve and love Jesus Christ. What about Romans 7? Romans 7 is sandwiched in there. Romans 7 is about 57 AD, somewhere along in 57 or so. The whole chapter of Romans 7, Paul says, the good that I would do, I don't do, and the, you know, and the struggle that I face is a real struggle, and I am wrestling with my faith in Jesus Christ. What does that teach us about sanctification? It teaches us that sanctification is a lifelong process, that God is not through maturing us until the day we meet him in glory. It teaches us that we need to continue to grow. Now, I think it also hints to us something. It hints to us that our sanctification probably happens and fits and starts and that we, we struggle with that. And I think Paul's experience is echoed by the people of God uh, throughout the centuries. His journey, it, uh, over the whole course of his journey, Uh, Paul sees himself ever more clearly understanding his need for grace. And I think that's why Paul says this. Because I think the longer I have walked with Christ, the more I understand my need for grace. Just out of personal testimony, when I first came to Christ, there were some things in my life that I knew had to be dealt with right then and there, and that God actually enabled me to deal with. And some of those sins were put beside me, behind me. They were no longer a part of my life. But the longer I walk with Christ, the more I see of my genuine, broken, fallen nature, and the more I know that I need the gospel of grace. I see the small things, the hard things, mark of a truly man truly holy man is that we realize that we live only by the grace of christ and and it's a mark that i would call dependence real dependence wise pastor once said this spiritual maturity isn't the absence of spiritual conflict it's the awareness of spiritual conflict the less holy you feel the better Ouch. The less holy you feel, as long as you're seeking to learn to walk by the Spirit, probably the more holy you actually are in your practice of the Christian life. Because the resulting dependence upon the Spirit, it's not simply being aware of the conflict and where you are weak. A lot of people are aware of their weaknesses and don't do anything about it. They feel helpless and powerless, but the Word of God doesn't leave us helpless and powerless. Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Nothing has changed since John penned these words in his gospel. First John 1, 8. He says, not the gospel, but his letter. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. and The truth is not in us. Don't deceive yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. So, where's the good news? I think the good news is that by walking in the Spirit, it it does something to us. It changes our desires, so that your deepest desire isn't so much for the flesh, for for the things of this world, for the things of a fallen nature. In fact, the the living new Tran- the new living translation. I'm dyslexic this morning. the the new living translation puts it this way. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That's the way they would translate verse um, 16 of Galatians 5. Interesting way to approach that text. In other words, look at the order. Walk by the Spirit and the flesh won't be gratified. That's fair. It's a promise. Paul says, don't fulfill the desires of the flesh, then you'll be walking by the Spirit. The ascetics, the monks, the, the hermits, they tried to do that, didn't they? They they tried to deny those things. They tried to withdraw from those things. They tried to, they tried to pull back from the world. They tried to hide a retreat so they wouldn't indulge their sinful cravings. We used to do an officer's retreat when I was, In uh, Maryland, in Baltimore, we did it at a Catholic uh, um, monastery. And, uh, you know, we spent uh, a couple of nights in one of the uh, monasteries. Each one of us had a little, they called them cells. And that's literally what they were. You had a sink, and you had a single bed. No mirror. I think we had a window. Yeah, there was a window. And um, a chair. That was it. And it was just large enough for a sink, a chair, and a single bed. Monks and hermits and ascetics have tried and tried and tried to do things, to deny themselves, to retreat from the world, to keep from indulging the, the sinful cravings of their hearts. But the minefield within can't be escaped can it that's Martin Luther's story isn't it you think about it the flesh follows us in our solitude and it even meets us in our darkness doesn't it have you watched the tv show alone where these guys go out you know these super uh, star guys, not superstars, but these, these super outdoors guys go out and they put them out on, um, you know, uh, some uh, godforsaken place uh, on the shore of the Pacific up in Alaska somewhere and and uh, they, they give them a, a toothpick and a, a knife and they say, go for it, you know, whoever stays the longest wins and uh, those guys are out there alone and they stay and they stay and you watch them, they film them, and you watch them, and you watch what happens, the things of their hearts won't leave them alone. They can't deny the issues that they've carried with them from the world and from their struggles and their marriages and other places, and in a very real way, those things continue to follow them. The same is true of your life before God you can't deny those things so we don't walk by the spirit Paul says by keeping the law we walk by the spirit of remembering and resting and being quieted by the message of the gospel by listening to the gospel over and over again it is as simple as that It is as complex as that. So let's talk about that for just a minute. With all of Paul's talk in the previous chapters about freedom and it'd be easy to think that the Christian life is just like one you go from one spiritual triumph to the next you know you just go from one uh, great event to the next great event in your Christian life and uh, and everything's good you know you're free from sin you live by the spirit you don't gratify the, the sinful nature of your heart you're free to serve you're free to be led by the spirit we fulfill the law of love and Everything is rosy and everything is good. Wait, the reality is Christians often suffer bitter spiritual defeats. If you look around this room, if you look into your own heart, don't you recognize that in your life? If you look around the room, don't you see that that what God has brought together when he brings together a group of believers is a group of people who are fallen and who are broken and who struggle with spiritual um, growth and, and spiritual defeat, but who cling to the gospel. That's what makes the church different. That's what makes us who we are. We still sin. We don't always want to serve. We fail to fulfill the law of love. Sometimes we, how, how can we explain, explain that kind of contradiction between our freedom and our failings, between the glory of the gospel and the reality of our broken natures? Walked by the Spirit. You know Martin Luther faced that dilemma over and over again. One thing that that, that I want you to know about Martin Luther and about Calvin and about, about the saints and the heroes of the Reformation and, and the saints and the heroes of the scriptures, they are people with flesh and blood and with hearts and minds just like you and me. They are not just some sort of super, um, um, you know, spiritual, sanctified, holy saint that, that, who never sin and who just walk about and, and things are great all the time. They're people like us who really struggle. They wrestled with the realities of life just like we do. Luther wrestled with life. Despite all of his attempts to live a godly life, there were times when he was tempted to sin. And there were times when he was not just tempted but dead. There were times he committed some fleshly sins and That made him worry that he was not really a Christian. Perhaps you can identify with that. Maybe maybe you've had those moments. Maybe you've heard Satan whisper in your ear. You know, if you really were a believer in Jesus, you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have thought that. You wouldn't have acted like that. You wouldn't. If you really trust, Luther struggled with those kinds of things. In fact, if your sins don't cause you to question your salvation sometimes, then maybe you need to question whether or not you know Christ. One of the verses that helped Luther the most is verse 17 of our text this morning. This is a verse that Luther would quote to himself over and over again For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Luther preached this to himself over and over again. Here's here's what he used to say. Martin, you will never be completely without sin because you still have flesh. Therefore, you will always be aware of its conflict according to the statement of Paul the desires of the flesh are against the spirit do not despair therefore but fight back do not gratify the desires of the flesh that's what he said to himself over and over again as his heart as he wrestled with the realities of his heart maybe not a bad idea for me and you to make that a part of who we are that verse describes that war within, that constant conflict that's raging in our hearts. That one desire grapples with the other. That, that two, it's like two giant sumo wrestlers trying to shove each other out of the ring. The flesh and the spirit, the sinful nature against the, unregen- uh, the regenerate nature, you know. It's this big. Can't you picture sin that way? Like a big sumo wrestler who's trying to throw you down, throw you out of the out of the ring. I don't know. Maybe championship wrestling is more your style. I I don't know. That's so fake. I didn't want to use that as an illustration. You know. Listen, the spiritual conf- condition of a believer is in that state of of flux all the time, of of back and forth. You do not do what you want to do. What does Romans seven say? I think the people, the commentators, the the, the pastors and teachers who don't believe that that is Romans 7 is a picture of Paul's struggle with sin have just never wrestled with their sin. It is indeed a picture of our struggle with sin. Paul is talking to the Galatian Christians here who had already received the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.3, they are born again. They are members of the church of Jesus Christ. They have been bought with his blood. And the spiritual battle between flesh and spirit was taking place in their hearts. That's where they were living. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I brought to you the uh, Reformation statement that Luther made about our righteousness and about our sin. The the, uh, Latin phrase that... uh, uh, is uh Eustace uh, at Peccador, partly righteous, partly sinner. That's who we are. That's that's what God has made us. We are we are completely forgiven in Christ, and yet we still struggle with sin and with righteousness. There is nothing less than a violent civil war. Um, a confrontation between opposing forces and, and there, it, it is almost an irreconcilable antagonism that's going on. Your spiritual life is always going to be a struggle. Now, there won't be times when the struggle is not intense, but it's always going to be a struggle. That's the truth. It's not the Arboretum full of butterflies. It's not the health and wealth gospel. It's not that everything is rosy and fine and Jesus will take us home. Oh, he'll take us home and, and things will be great then. But I think the other thing is that we ought to, to recognize is we ought not be surprised that it's a struggle. We ought not be surprised by sin. As if God expects, we, we expect God to make us perfect in, the, in, in this life. He's not going to do that. And sin shouldn't cause us to doubt. Now, in some ways maybe it should. But it ought not cause us to doubt our salvation. I think we ought to be aware of our sin. And I think we're most aware of our sin when the spirit is most active in our fighting the adversary. Our sinful desires. The other thing I think we ought to realize is this war, this spiritual battle, this civil war that's going on in our hearts and minds is not something that's going to last forever. I want to give you hope, too, this morning. I don't want to just give you, you know, like doom and gloom and and, uh, you're going to fight this battle and it's always going to rage and it's never going to end, kind of like Vietnam uh, for those of us uh, from that era. It seemed like Vietnam would never end. One day the spirit will gain total victory one day that victory the, the, will, will put the flesh in its place and it will not any longer torment us One day we'll be free in all the ways that the spirit wants to make us free we'll be free to serve we'll be free from sin we'll be free to, to fulfill God's law we'll be, full, f- we'll, we'll be free to be who we were created to be in our in, our, in the fullness Of what God has created us for. We'll be free to do what we most want to do. And that's what God wants to do in us. But you know when that comes. That comes. After that process of sanctification. Is completed. And glorification. Begins. It comes when we stand in the presence of Jesus. And it'll be completed. When Jesus has come and all of his power and glory and full reformation has taken place in this world. When we are fully sanctified and glorified. Can you walk by the Spirit while you're eating your oatmeal? Is it only something you do when you're immersed in prayer? No. You can walk by the Spirit when you're eating your oatmeal. Walking by the Spirit, that... You know, and I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, "Ah, doesn't that sound so spiritual? I mean, you know, walking by the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it really mean? I mean, you know... And and maybe I need to step back and and take a second. And and I thought maybe I should have bumped this idea up to the front end of the sermon this morning. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Some people think about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and they think of him like a ghost. You know, in in fact, in the uh, uh, 16th or 6th century of the uh, version of the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Ghost there. That was a language difference for them. But for us that idea of a ghost has a the language has connotations and and because of time and history and everything else the word ghost means something different to us than it did back in the 6th century. And so people today think when we say oh we believe in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit they mean that, they think that we, we believe in some sort of specter. Some sort of some sort of ethereal thing, but what we're talking about is the ever-present Spirit of God, the Giver of life. Some people read Paul's words about being filled with the Spirit in, in uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen, and, and they have the image of of like being filled with the Spirit is like going to the gas station and filling up your gas tank you know they have this they have this tangible sense of, of that's who the spirit is both of those thoughts don't do justice to who the holy spirit is the other the other misconception is that uh, the holy spirit is like a force to be tapped into like a jedi knight okay or, or like, like the, the wall plug in your, you know, you tap into the, the uh, power and when you have the, when you're tapped into the power, you have the power of the spirit working in your life. None of those things is accurate. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is the, is the personal presence of God. When, when in the Old Testament, um, it, when it speaks of God being with his people, it speaks of the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. The Spirit empowers, the Spirit enables, the Spirit purges, the Spirit leads and guides. Generation after generation of sinners to face the reality of God is what Packer writes. And he does it in order that Christ might be known, loved, honored, and praised. John Packer's got the right idea there. The Spirit focuses on and points us toward the Word, and the Word points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes our hearts and our desires and plants in us the ability to put our faith in Jesus. We don't do it ourselves. It's not something we do. It's something the Spirit has done in us. Jesus of Nazareth is incarnated by the Spirit's work. That's his job, is to constantly point you to Jesus, whatever it takes. Listen to the Trinitarian nature of that. The Spirit directs us to the Son so that we might love and glorify the Father. The Spirit is, is the one who moves us to the Son, who moves us into relationship with our Father, the relationship that's been broken by our sin. So as the third person of the Trinity, he places us into a personal relationship with the Son and the Father, uniting our lives with the life of the Godhead. Think about that. Let that sink in. It's God in us. It's us in God. It's, a truly, it's truly dancing with the Trinity in a very real way. The Shorter Catechism talks about the persons of the Trinity. The Shorter Catechism, question number six, says this. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and in glory. That's an important understanding of who the Trinity is. In fact, at Presbytery Tuesday, we had a candidate before us who who knew this answer and who, knew, who knows these truths? But he couldn't articulate them. He couldn't talk easily about who the Holy Spirit was. And there were some men in the room who were doubtful about following ahead, moving ahead with his um, uh, passing the exam. Now we, had more, we actually had discussion about remembering the, the work and person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a powerful personality who fills all the rooms of your life and he applies pressure to turn the desire of the flesh away from the flesh and awakens a hunger and a longing for God. The Spirit works in the affections of our heart. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit. We have Christian brothers who have taught that we receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a second blessing. That is false. That is not what the Scriptures teach. That is a perversion of what the Scriptures teach us. When you are born again, you are born again by the Spirit. But the question is this, does He have all of you? Does the Spirit have all of you? Are there, you you remember the little um, story, analogy, Christ, uh, uh, my heart, Christ home? Are there cupboards and closets in the the rooms of your life that that have keep out signs? You know? Um, The New Testament speaks about the fact that we can grieve the Spirit, that we can quench the Spirit. It's clear from the book of Acts that the believer's, We're given fresh experiences of the the Spirit's fullness more than once. I think we need to do more, especially as Presbyterians, we need to do more thinking about the third person of the Trinity. We need to talk about it more from our pulpits and and in our classrooms. Alexander McLaren, uh, uh, several centuries ago, wrote these words. There was an actual impartation to men of a divine life to dwell in them and to actuate them, to bring all good to victory in them, to illumine, uh, to illuminate, sustain, direct, and elevate, to cleanse and quicken. The gift was complete. They were filled. No doubt they had much more to receive, and they received it as their natures became by faithful obedience to the indwelling spirit capable of more but up to the measure of their then capacities they were filled and since their spirits were expansible the gift of was infinite they were in a position to grow steadily in position of it till they were filled with all the fullness of god it's pretty good pretty good quote there as we're filled, our hearts are expanded, and as they expand, we can be filled some more. But in the end, it's all because of the gospel. I think our hearts are kind of like a wineskin in terms of the Holy Spirit's filling. And that wine, as you put wine into it, begins to make that wineskin stretch and expand. I think that's really a, a great illustration, a great um, uh, quote to share with you this morning you know the, Pharise- the pharisaical don't ever attain the fullness of the spirit because they're constantly cutting themselves off from the gospel they're trying to do it in their own strength we need to be careful that we keep in step we walk with the spirit The Spirit of God isn't just unique to the New Testament either. Sometimes we have that false impression. You know, the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. Just just an easy illustration is the Exodus. Think about God's people in the Exodus, you know. Um, Israel walked out of Egypt, and they were led by the presence of God, weren't they? It was seen in in the pillars and in the smoke and fire. God took his enslaved people, into freedom, and as he did it, he walked with them. Who walked with them through the Red Sea? Who was it that when they were on the other side of the sea, guided them day and night, reminded them of his presence with him? And then centuries later, the prophet Isaiah spoke to a wayward Israel who had long since already completed the exodus and all those events and what does he say in isaiah 63 they rebelled and grieved his holy spirit and therefore he turned to be their enemy and he himself fought against them then he remembered the days of old of moses and his people where he is he who brought them up from out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock where is he who put in the midst of them his holy spirit who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who who led them through the depths. Isaiah reminds us that the Holy Spirit was the one who was there. God's presence was there. I think the Spirit's presence reminds us, is reminiscent of what took place in the Garden of Eden. As God walked with Adam and Eve, there, God with them. We're going to celebrate Christmas in just a couple of weeks. Walmart's got it all out, right? (laughs) A couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus became Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're going to celebrate that fact. God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we would have Emmanuel dwelling in our hearts. Filling the wineskin of our saggy little hearts. So that we would be pleasing to him. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, it's a promise. It lays out what's going to happen We don't want to take this wonderful promise and turn it into a self-reformation project either. You hear me? That don't gratify the flesh and you'll be walking by the Spirit. In other words, deny yourself, walk by the Spirit. No, that's that's what the monks tried. That didn't work. That's a statement about what God does. Not the result of our effort. It's the result of faith. By faith. The Spirit is guiding your life. You won't be living by the flesh. You won't be in bondage um, uh, to the affections and the desires of of the flesh. That's a promise. Does that mean the battle's over? No. It's not over. It's all kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? (laughs) Why can't we just obey and do our duty and be good enough? That's not what the gospel is all about. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? I was trying to think of an illustration. This is the best I could do. If you don't have air... You die, right? Pretty good principle there. Uh, We all know that. A scuba diver probably knows that better than most. You know, when your air tank runs out, you got problems. You better be coming up to the surface really quickly. You don't have long. I used to uh, lifeguard and teach swimming lessons and that kind of thing and used to, on a daily basis, uh, go down to the bottom of the pool and stay there as long as I could until my lungs were screaming for air. And then I would bop, pop back up. And then I'd go back down and do it again because I wanted to build my capacity. You know, I, I never got very long. I mean, I couldn't stay down there 10 minutes. I couldn't stay down there five minutes. Maybe three. I used to clock it. I don't remember what the times were. We can't go long without air. If there's no breath in your lungs, you die. Well, if you look into the Greek and the Hebrew, the words for spirit, breath, and wind, moving air, are all the same. It's the word pneuma. Pop that up, please. We'll get there. It's the word pneuma. If there's no breath in your lungs, you die. Did it just lock up? Well, don't worry about it then. You know, you, you, if, if there's no breath in your lungs, you die. You can't explore the, the, the watery creation that God has, has uh, made. Life-giving breath is our most basic need, okay? Take away the Spirit. Take away the Holy Spirit of God who, who gives us the life of God and applies Christ's work to our hearts, who, who transforms our being. Take that away, and you drown as well. The flesh is no more your natural environment than water. Now let that sink in for just a minute. Unlike diving into Blue Spring or snorkeling in the Keys or something uh, going out into the deep sea somewhere to explore scuba diving, the flesh is really never a pretty place to visit either, is it? It needs to be overcome. For that's the seed of our hostility. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. You never reach the point where grace is no longer needed. Just like a scuba diver never grows gills. I could never stay at the bottom of the pool more than about three minutes because I just couldn't make those gills pop out. We need God's Spirit to work in our lives and in our hearts. I, I've, I've tried to come up with ways to describe this. So, so we're no longer in the flesh. It's not my home turf anymore, but the flesh is still in me. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm so much like Israel. I've come out of Egypt, but Egypt's still in me, you know, but but i can't get egypt out of me and and so i have that wrestle i'm like the israelites i long for the fish and and for the melons and for the cucumbers and the leeks and the onions and and all the delectables of of uh exotic uh, food in in the nile and that's our battle too, day and night the flesh just serenades us with songs of you know, trying to lure our affections away from Christ, tempting us to to serve ourselves and and use our own efforts to get what we think we need. In Galatians, Paul makes the application of, of the Old Testament promises like the one in Ezekiel 36 where Ezekiel says in verse 26, he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit And I will put a new spirit. I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's really the story of all of us as believers. Our desire to walk with God is birthed by the Spirit who gives us a new heart. You ever moved? I would bet that almost 95 percent of us have moved. Maybe 100 percent. As I look around the room, I, I think that probably most of you have moved more than once. You know what it's like to move. You know what it, you know what it does to your family. You know what it does to your stuff. They say, by the way, three moves equals one fire in terms of damage to your furniture. Just just a little tidbit. Um. But when you move, what happens? You, you have to say farewell to your friends. You have to leave or sell. You sell your home. You, at worst, you know, or, you know, or you rent your home out to someone else. And, but you say goodbye to the things that are familiar. You, you leave behind a part of your life that's there, and you're kind of like Cortez. You know, when Cortez landed, he cut the ropes, and, and he burned the boats so they couldn't go back. And you kind of have to do that in your own life. Even though it was tremendously difficult, God made it clear that that's what we have to do, and he's enabled that. Hardships sometimes make us remember, make us dream of our old, our beloved homes. Who can't remember their childhood home? Who can't just recall something about where they lived growing up and have Fond memories. But could you go back today? Would your key still fit in the lock? Would it be the same? Does it have any hope of being the same? It doesn't. You can't. We don't live there anymore. It's the same with the believer. You've been born again. You've been given a new home. You've been given a new spirit. You've been given Christ. You can't go back. So how do we walk by the Spirit? I think that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, Paul says. The flesh wants to sally you with the yoke of the law, but the Spirit leads us into deeper and deeper sonship. In other words, we've committed to Christ. We've, We've left behind Egypt. We've left behind our home, and the Spirit supplants or implants in us a longing for the Father, and supplants all the things that come out of our past. But don't you think that's why we have a sense of homesickness sometimes too? I think it is. Paul says this in Colossians. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When you feel homesick, when you're tempted to sin, when you feel like the battle is raging and you just can't do it, set your mind on the things above, on Christ. Recall your real sonship. Remember the gospel. Remember that you're not an orphan anymore. Remember that you are Abba's father or son. Remember that that against all the devil's accusations that will drive you to try to justify yourself in the flesh, that you have been justified and sanctified by grace through faith. When the water of doubt overwhelms you, look at the cross. Remember the outstretched arms of Jesus. Remember the embrace that you receive in him. Recall the promise. Listen to the gospel, preach the gospel to yourself. Remembering is so hard for us sometimes. And you know what? God knows our weakness and our, and our inability to remember. And that's why he's given us the sacraments. Tangible signs and seals of the covenant of grace of the fact that he has embraced us, that we are his and that he is ours. Baptism is the same way. Remember those things. Recall those things. I want to close with one last story this morning. I think the gospel overcomes all obstacles that the flesh would would put against it, and I think this story from Hudson Taylor, as he served in inland China, just illustrates that really well. A man named Mister George Nichol was with Hudson Taylor on one occasion, and and. As they were together, some letters were handed to, uh, were brought into the office and, and were handed to Hudson Taylor bringing news of a serious riot in two of the older uh, outposts or compounds of the mission. And this man, George Nichol, thinking that Mr. Taylor might be um, wanting to be alone, to, to think through this, to, to, to know how to respond to this kind of thing, uh, the younger man thought that um, uh, he should withdraw that he should, you know, move out of the room. And to his surprise, someone in the room began to whistle, and it was Mr. Taylor. Hudson Taylor began to to whistle, and he began to whistle the refrain of a well-loved hymn. I would whistle it for you, but I don't dare try. Jesus, I am resting, resting, resting in the joy of of what thou art. So Mr. Nichol turned back and he couldn't he just he couldn't help exclaim, he said, How can you whistle when our friends are in so much danger? Hudson Taylor said this, and this was wise. Would you have me be anxious and troubled? That would not help them and would certainly incapacitate me for my work. I just have to roll the burden on the Lord. Wow. Coming to church this morning, went to get in my truck, battery was dead. It's Sunday morning, you've got to expect those things right. So Ann's drying her hair, getting ready to go, and she has a tight schedule this morning too, and And um, I said, honey, I think I want you to drive me to church this morning so that I can get here on time. And, you know, one thing and another, we get in her car to leave. And, you know, the weather's been a little cool and the tires are low. I didn't roll those things over on the Lord this morning in my heart. (laughs) I did not snap at my wife. And she probably just saw the frustration in my heart. And I realized that that's really what I needed to do. I Just needed to give it to God, to just trust him with it. Practical, daily struggles. Why do those things happen today? Well, I don't think it was a neglect on my part. I think it was because Satan knew that we'd be looking at this text. And I needed to be reminded from God's hand in a very practical, pragmatic way how to roll those things over on him. May God do the same with you this week. Maybe not with your battery and the tires, but in another way. And may you grow in grace and see his good and perfect hand in your life. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this day to help us walk by your Spirit. Father, not to be Christians who are, who are aesthetics or monks and try to withdraw from life and reality and culture and everything else and try to be holy by our own effort. Lord, not to be those who would compartmentalize and who would stuff the things of this life and the struggles of this world in our hearts and, and thereby create ulcers and, and stress and strain and blood pressure issues in our, in our physical bodies. But, Father, that we might be those who are able to keep in step with your Spirit, to roll our burdens onto you because we know that we are yours and that there is nothing that separates that relationship once we've entered into sonship and adoption in Jesus. Help us to walk with the Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.